Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my amazing friend, Bianca Oltoff. Bianca is a Bible teacher, a speaker, and a writer. And speaking of writing, Bianca has a new book coming out in just a few weeks. It's called How to Have Your Life Not Suck. Isn't that awesome? I just got my copy, and guys, I'm telling you, it is so good. She's going to tell us all about it in today's episode. I wanted to have Bianca on the show today, though, to talk to us about friendship. And actually, she's here to talk about the part of friendship that I find to be the hardest, how to end a friendship. I think every single one of us has come to a point in friendships where things just aren't going well. And I think every single one of us struggles to know what to do about it. We should fight for our friendships, right? And yes, we should, sometimes. But there are other times when we're in friendships that just aren't actually good for us. And there are other times when a friendship has just run its course. This is so hard to face, and it's even harder to know what to do with this. But that's why I'm so glad to have Bianca here today. She's going to teach us how to recognize when a friendship needs to end. And she's going to teach us how to end it in a way that is kind and loving and healthy. She's also going to share with us some practical steps we can take today to start making some great new friends. I'm so excited about this episode. I love Bianca, and I know you will too. But before we dive in, as you may have noticed, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is friendship. Let's be honest. Something I think about all the time is friendship. In my life, in my faith, in my relationships, in what God is calling me to do in the world, I have never found a resource, other than God Himself, more powerful or more transformative than having a great group of girlfriends by my side and in my corner. I'm just convinced that life is better and way more fun when we do it together, and that's exactly why I created my Friendship Small Group Guide. It's a six-week guide designed to help a group of women get to know each other, become each other's people. This isn't a Bible study, but it is my favorite way to begin one because it helps create that foundation of trust and friendship that will take your small group, your book club, your team, your friendships, and even your studying of God's Word to a deeper, more meaningful level. To learn more about the small group guide and to download the first chapter of the guide for free, go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash first chapter free. That link will be in our show notes as well. I can't wait to tell you more about it. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Bianca. All right, friends, I'm sitting here with my friend, Bianca, and I'm so excited to get to introduce you to her. If you haven't met her yet, I'm going to go ahead and say you're welcome for this new friend in your life because you're going to be so happy to have her. Bianca, can you tell us, for the women who haven't met you yet, tell us who you are, what you do, and I'm really, I, I have high hopes for your fun fact. Oh, this is exciting. Okay, no pressure, Steph. I know, no I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think you can do it. I think you can do it. Okay, so my name is Bianca Oltoff, and Steph is not just a random person on a podcast. She's actually someone we've met. I've met before several times. We have a mutual friend, and um, I'm so excited to where the conversation goes. My fun fact, though, is though I would not necessarily say I would start a dance party, if I'm ever traveling out of town in an airport or in a place that I will never see anyone ever again... I bust out like, like I'm a backup dancer for Beyonce. 
and I'm shameless about it. Like I am absolutely shameless about it. In my mind, I am a backup dancer for Beyonce. So I think that's my fun fact that most people don't know, except for my travel assistant who always records, records me. And we have this thing, we call it twerkship. So it's like twerking, but it's worship. So it's twerkship. And uh, we like to do that in airports. I, I mean, do you have music out loud or is it like in your headphones or is it just in your head? Sometimes it's in my head or if it's like, I think the reason why it works so well at airports is because there's always some like musical track playing. And so sometimes I feel like doing pirouettes because it's more like classical. Sometimes I do feel like doing a little Michael Jackson kick because it's like James Brown or something soulful, like, you know, Michael. And sometimes it's just like, we're going to have a dance party because it's like Justin. So, I mean, it's like whatever, whatever's clever, we're going to make it work. I'm so into that. I love that. That's a, that's a good quality in a person. But here's the thing. You're, you're never going to see these people ever. I'm just going to do me. I'm bring joy to this room, bring joy to my life, bring joy to Jesus, to the act of dancing. Cause I'm a dance like David dance. <laughs> get it. Get it. I love it so much. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. So Bianca, I have a zillion questions for you today. And so I want to dive in because I want to just see if I can get through all of them. I'm super excited about this. You have a new book that is coming out in just a few weeks and it's called How to Have Your Life Not Suck, which I love. Can you tell us like tell us about the book and the backstory for it? Why did you why did you write a book called How to Have Your Life Not Suck? Well, first of all, I love that I get to talk about this book before it comes out because um, most people are kind of leery about, you know, books and it's just one more thing. But I'm super excited about this topic. In fact, the book title, <laughs> I'm glad that you love it. My mom, not so much because she says, Bianca, we should not use the word suck. My mother's super conservative. But I told her that here's the thing, mom, I wish that someone would have told me this 10 years ago. You know, when I'm 25 years old and questioning, what am I doing with my life? Why does everything suck? I wish someone would have handed me this book. And I'm. it's really like my heart behind it was this could be a playbook for girls experiencing uh, coming out of like loss or heartbreak or confusion or joblessness. And they can resonate with someone that's not just live through it because that's been me, but then also see like a biblical perspective. And so whether people have like a biblical background or they don't, I feel like there's some practical handles that we can learn from women who have gotten before us. But then the second thing is that I'm really seeing is that like, yes, I wrote this book for the 25 year old me, but like, as I'm going through the book now, I'm realizing that there's these practical principles even for now, for me in my life that I'm still employing to this day. And so, um, speaking of my mom, there is this 14 year gap between my mom and my youngest sister. And so how my mom raised me is Wait, very between you and your, between you and your, my youngest sister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. It. Yeah. So, I mean, people, when I, when she was born, people thought like I was her mom. So there's a huge gap. And so my mom was just talking about how like, she just feels like my youngest sister Zoe was born in a different generation. And so the things that she's dealing with, whether it's like social media or like the economy fall in 2007, like these all affected this generation, especially like millennials and next gen. And so my mom felt like this book was a playbook for Zoe, but a primer for her. So she has an understanding of what girls now are dealing with. And so that's a little bit of the heart behind it. And though that was it, like I didn't know that from the beginning that this was, gonna, was it, what it was going to morph into. I'm so excited that we're here now because the feedback so far has been super positive. I love that. I love that. And you know, I mean, that's the heart behind everything that we do 
like here on my podcast and in my space too, is just, we need, the, I think that the best thing that we can do for each other is, you know, we, whenever we go through something, we learn a ton along the way. And we have two options at that point. We can either just keep going, learning the lessons we need, you know, gathering up all the wisdom we need and just keep moving forward. Or we can stop and turn around and what, like help the women who are a step or two behind us using the things that we just learned. And I think, you know, some really cool things come from this. One is just practical insight and wisdom. Like do this or don't do this. I, you know, let me just make your journey easier and less painful and more fun. And then also just knowing that you're not alone. I think that's a huge part of it is when we're going through something hard, it's hard enough. The thing is just hard enough, but that feeling of like, am I crazy? Am I the only one who feels this way? Am I the only one who just cannot get this part of my life together? Having someone say, no, like I I felt the exact same way, or I went through that too, or I made that mistake too, is just, it just helps so much. It just, it just is so nice to know that you're not alone. And so I, I love this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like the power of allowing someone to go second. If you go first with your pain, you go first with your experience that empowers other people to feel like, wow, that's a me too moment. And, um, I, I, I remember, you know, 10 years ago, I, or 12 years ago now, but my mom was diagnosed with brain cancer. I couldn't find a job. I moved back home. I was applying to grad school. I felt like such a loser because I couldn't find a job and had to move back home. Um, I was dealing with the possibility of my mom passing and the, ending of a relationship that I thought was going to be with my future husband. And so it just felt like everything in life sucked. And it was so lonely and isolating. And I didn't feel like I had a place that I could be honest or a community that I can be honest with because it felt like everyone's life was moving on. Everyone was getting married. Everyone was having kids. Everyone found a job. Everyone's you know, on with their life. And I felt like I was regressing. And I found solace in meeting two women from an Old Testament book from the Bible that I felt like could be my mentors and my friends in a really sucky season. Love that. I love that. And do you want to talk about the women real quick? Because I feel like they just inform so much of the direction of the book. Absolutely. Yes. So these two women, their name is Ruth and Naomi. There's a small four chapter book in uh, the Old Testament. And it is based on two women who lost everything. They lost their husbands. They lost their home. They lost their hope. Um, and there was no hope of a future generation because one woman was older in age and unable to bear children. And the other one was dealing with infertility issues and couldn't get pregnant. And so they marched back to what would be home and find a sense of wholeness within community and a space for God to redeem a really, really, really sucky, sucky situation. And I feel like I walked away from reading that book and making friends with these Bible characters and feeling like if Ruth put one foot in front of the other after losing everything and she got to work in her field, I feel like I can get up in moments of that are absolutely sucky and where dreams feel dashed and life feels lost and put one foot in front of the front of the other and end up in a field and you just don't know what God's going to do even in those situations because it looks like it's the end, but your end might just be your beginning and something completely new in a new direction. I love that. Okay. So I, I love everything that you've done in this book and and I'm so grateful that you're taking the time to stop and look back and write down some of the, thing, the things that you wish someone had written down for you. And especially in this season of life, I feel like our 20s, especially later 20s, are so tricky. We are dealing with like <laughs> major, this is just one of the biggest crossroads of our entire lives. You know, we're figuring out 
who we are. We're dealing like at this point in life, we've gone through enough to have some major wounds that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. We're deciding what we want to, at least like kind of a a general direction that we want to take with our life and what we're sort of meant to do in the world. We're choosing our, like who we're going to spend our lives with. It's just so much is happening and so much is happening. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because so much is happening in each of our lives and it's all happening at different speeds. So when all of your friends are like, you know, you're focusing on your career, but then all of a sudden all your friends are getting married, which puts way more pressure on like that area of your, I mean, it's just, everyone is dealing with a lot and it's all happening at different times and it's just a lot to navigate. So I'm really grateful that you wrote this book. Thank you, Steph. So one of my favorite things that you talk about in the book is friendship. And this is just, friendship is is one of my favorite things in the world. It's It's been, God has used friendship in my life in just unbelievably powerful ways. I'm such a believer in friendship, but I also know friendship can be really hard. So I have a <laughs> bunch of questions about that. Um, yes. But before we even get into it, I would love to hear a little bit about your high school group of friends that you talk about in the book. And our mutual friend, Bree, is one of them. And so I'd love to hear about them. And I'd also love to hear about the pearls and how they inspired you. <laughs> Absolutely. So statistically speaking, friendship is one of the tension points that most women, and that is in any age demographic, is wrestling with. Where community is like the one thing that we want, and yet the one thing that we're fearful of. And where does that fear come from? It comes from past hurt and past trauma. And so friendship might feel for some um, overwhelming because you don't know where to begin. And friendship for others might feel like scary because you've been hurt and you don't want to go down that road again. But I think if we look at friendships as seasons, it might help us a little bit. And so uh, you mentioned a chapter that I wrote on friendship uh, because I, sadly, I failed at friendship, but then I also have some really great friendships. And I remember watching an Oprah episode. Back in the day when Oprah Slaughter talk show, I was in high school and I caught an episode where Oprah had met this group of women. They were in their uh, in their 60s at the time. Actually, no, they were in their 80s at the time. But they had 60 years of friendship between them. They met in their 20s and they had seen loss and love and um, marriage and divorce and babies and grandchildren. And I remember watching them and being so amazed. They each had a string of beautiful pearls that hung around their neck. And they said, they called themselves the pearls because all of them were strung together in life. It was over time that they were made and developed. There's this beautiful story. And I remember being 15 years old, watching this episode, thinking like, how do I make friends like that? And then the question was posed was, how do I be a friend like that? And so I met um, my group of friends in high school. And I remember uh, that... By the time we graduated high school, I said, if we are going to remain friends, because statistics will say that you will not end up friends with 96% of the people that you went to high school with. If I'm going to remain friends with this group, what's the work that I'm going to have to put in? And so over the course of college, and I can safely say, gosh, 25 years later, we are still friends to this day. And so it's been such a fun adventure, um, but it's come with a lot of work. And so in that chapter, I talk about like the work that goes into it, but then also when is it time to let a friendship end? And I say that because in the story of Ruth and Naomi, there's a third character that starts off their journey with them, and her name was Orpah. She was a sister-in-law to Ruth and a daughter-in-law to Naomi, and she bails. Uh, times got tough, and on a dusty desert dirt road, she was given the opportunity to leave, and she did. 
And, um, okay, I'm going to geek out for a second, but I read this and this is not in the book. So this is just for your podcast. Steph, but yes. Yes. I Girls Night love, Exclusive. Yes. Yes. I love, <laughs> I love the power of names. And, um, I, I, I speak about that a little bit in the book, but, um, one of the names that was given to, um, the daughter-in-law, her name was Orpa and the name Orpa means back of neck. And I feel like, um, and, and so some theologians will say that these were actually not their real names because these women were not Jewish. These women were not Hebrew women and yet they had Hebrew names. And so they believe that that was kind of like her moniker or her nickname because the last thing they saw of her as she walked away was the back of her neck. And I kind of feel like sometimes there's some orpas in life and that is okay. There will be people that walk away. But what I love about this situation is that Naomi gave her permission to leave. And I think that sometimes we hold on to people because we're afraid of losing them when truthfully, they don't want to be with us anyway. And secondly, they're not going to be the ones that are going to do the hard yards with you. They're not going to be the ones that are going to commit to you. And that is okay. I've had to learn that the hard way of letting go of a friendship that I was friends with for over 10 years. And it was painful and hard. I mean, we vacationed together. We hung out on the weekends. Our spouses were friends. And the ending of that friendship was so painful. But I feel like if we learn how to end things well, it will make us more prone to start new relationships in the future. Oh, that's so good. Because you're so right. It's I feel like we're not necessarily, I mean, there's part of us that's, that's inherently afraid of the vulnerability that friendships require, um, because it's scary to open up the deepest parts of yourself to another person. When they're, when you're open like that, the chances of you getting hurt are a lot higher, but the chances of, of, of you being able to be deeply loved, I mean, it only can happen when you're that open. But I think when we have gone through something really terrible or when we have been really hurt or damaged by a friend, that makes it even harder to open up. And so I love the idea that ending it well can, you know, give us the, I don't know. It's a better, that's a better place to start again. So I, the idea that this is, this is hard for me. I'm a friendship person through and through. I don't know if you're an Enneagram person, but oh, I'm a two. Girl. Oh, I love twos. Three twos are my favorite and two threes are my second favorite. Yes. I was going to say I'm a, I'm a two, three. Um, and so, I mean, relationships are like my thing. And so the idea of letting go of a friendship, it feels like it feels cruel. It feels um, like I'm abandoning someone. It feels like I've failed. And so that that difference between like, this is a friendship worth fighting for. This is, this is a friendship that's going to go the distance versus this is a friendship that was sort of for a season or maybe the time, like it's kind of run its course. Yeah. Talk us through the difference there of how to really start to discern that. Absolutely. So um, for those that love bullet points and you are either a one or an eight, I will give you three bullet points because I found it to be helpful. Um, and then for those that are a little bit more narrative driven, like sevens like me, I will give a personal story about that. <laughs> but I, I think um, one, if someone begins to make you feel less than, if you walk away from a conversation feeling worse, about yourself, um, if you feel like being in their presence causes you to question or doubt any of the unique gifts or callings that God has given to you, that might be a good sign that they're not in a season of friendship. Two, if you feel uh, like they need more than you can give, that will end up exhausting a relationship. And three, it could just be a change in season for both of y'all's life, and it could be the end of it, and it could end healthy. 
Those three things have been so helpful for me in pr- protecting my heart and also protecting that relationships. Where um, in like the third scenario, when it's just, hey, we run our course. I remember when I moved to Orange County from Los Angeles, I had a great group of friends, but realistically, proximity was the thing that kept us together. We were in a church community together. We were in a small group together. We were in the same ministries together. We, you know, hung out and vacationed and traveled together. And when I moved, we just didn't have that liberty anymore. And we all kind of had a couple conversations about like, hey, I love you and you love me. And when we, when we're together, we can be together. Um, in the first two situations though, I actually had, that was probably more painful. And um, that was the 10 year relationship where every time we hung out, I always felt like I was failing her. Like no matter what I did, um, no matter how hard I tried, I felt like it wasn't enough. And this isn't to meet to play the victim because I'm sure on her side, she had some very real feelings about probably how I wasn't coming through as a friend. I just didn't know how to fix that. And in one really hard conversation, I just paused the conversation. And I said, wait a minute. I don't think that this is the issue. The issue that you're bringing up to me right now doesn't feel like it's the issue. I think your issue is with me. Like, I just don't think you like me. And she paused and said, you're right. I said, okay, this is super hurtful, but thank you for your honesty. And I think that we should just stop pretending that this is going to be okay. That was a very mature conversation. I know for some people like twos, it's probably giving you like hives and angina. Don't worry. Those, <laughs> those happen every once in a while. So I just recently had a conversation with someone I was pretty close with. We we're in the same uh, circles, in the same industry, same passions. And I, I would have considered this, this person a friend, a close friend, a confidant. And something had happened where I felt like there was a sense of, if, if I'm being completely honest, a sense of betrayal where I kind of like backfooted. And I was like, ooh, this does not feel safe. I feel taken advantage of. Um, and this is not the type of friend that I want to be in community with. Well, after I think several months of her realizing that I just wasn't engaging or communicating like I I, I, I was, I, she called and we had an honest conversation. Not only was, not only did she invite me to be honest about the in the conversation, she also was aware of like perhaps how she treated me, and then she wanted to make amends. And though I was so grateful for that conversation conversation. I thanked her profusely. I also knew I needed to protect my heart and my mind. And so I told her, I said, Hey, I'm for you. I am championing you. I'm loving you. But realistically in this season, I just don't know how good and how real of a relationship we'll be able to have because I kind of know where I stand. And it doesn't mean that I love you less. In fact, I totally appreciate this conversation and I'm for you just at a distance. Is that okay? And I think she was really shocked. But after the shock wore off at about 30 seconds, she was just like, I really appreciate your honesty. Thank you. And I just texted her two days ago and she texted me a week ago and it's good, but let's not put on any pretense here. We are for each other, but we're really not going to be like super close friends because friendship is an honor and friendship is a gift. And you have someone in your life that's just a taker or someone in your life that doesn't make you feel safe. They're not worth your time. Mm. Is that savage? I don't know. It will help your life not suck, friend. (laughs) And that's the point. I don't want people to waste their life sucking. They can have great relationships and invest your time, your energy, your love, your resource, and all the value that God has given you to invest in meaningful relationships. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. 
And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I was doing an interview a couple weeks ago and someone, the, the people interviewing me asked me if you could go back and tell your, and I can't remember if they said like 18 or 22 or something like that, your old self something, what would you say? And I said, you don't have to be friends with people who are mean to you. And it took me, I I mean, I remember distinctly, I was 25 when I stopped being friends with people who weren't kind to me. And Mm -hmm. when I finally understood the difference between a safe friend and an unsafe friend, and I'd always felt the difference and I'd always seen the difference ripple out in all corners of my life. Like it's really hard being ourselves and doing the things that God created us to do and our relationships with Him in all corners of our lives are hard enough. They're extra hard when the people who should be there supporting you are actually like tearing you down or or making you feel small or just not helping. You know, maybe they're not even pulling you back, but maybe they're not they're not pushing you forward at all. And I just I, I mean, it really, I was, I was 25 and I remember exactly the day that I just realized I could lay, lay down that boundary and say, I'm not going to be friends with people I don't feel safe around. And I'm not going to be friends with people who aren't kind to me. And my life has sucked less <laughs> ever since. Yes. It's just unbelievable. Yes. Girl, you are a witness. Give <laughs> me a praise hanky because you are a witness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take your life back. You know, don't let anyone hijack your life or make you feel less than or make you feel unsafe if they're supposed to be a safe place for you. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So talk us through, you know, there, I feel like we're, we're dealing with kind of two different things here. One is just a friendship that's run its course. And then another one is sort of like a more of a toxic friendship. Yeah. I would love it if, and I mean, this is, this is my Enneagram too, because really this is hard for me. I would love it if you could give us just like some practical ways to bring up that conversation or, and, and you gave us like great examples, but just talk us through it. If So let's do the one where it's run its course first. If you have a friendship where like your friend that you always felt like you were failing her, it's like you guys were super close. You're not as close anymore. And be, maybe because of proximity or maybe because like, you know, you live across the country. How are you going to start up a friendship again? You kind of need to let it go. How do you have that conversation? Yeah. So there's two ways. It Well, here's the thing. I'm sure there's multiple ways, but I'm just going to give you two easy ways. It might naturally run its course. And so let's just say that whether it's a life stage, maybe you had a baby, maybe you moved away, maybe you took a new job, maybe you're involved in different churches or different communities. There's that natural fade where nothing bad happens. And if both of y'all just feel like it's a natural end, beautiful. No conversations need to be had. It's all good. Now, if that's not the case. And it feels like proximity has changed, job has changed, friends have changed, or community have changed. And one person feels like they need closure, then it's totally fine that you either initiate it if you're sensing that that person needs closure or you initiate it because you need closure. So the first one, it's run its course and both of you are like, what a great run. High five. Love ya. Catch you on the other side. The other one will cost a little bit relationally in the sense of you might have to be the mature one to bring up the conversation. And if you don't bring up the conversation and there isn't resolve on your end or on their end, it will turn toxic and people will get hurt. Mm. 
So for the sake of not wanting to hurt someone or yourself, what would it look like to be mature and just have a grown-up conversation? And as easily as I had that conversation with that friend, we could easily have that conversation. It may not feel easy, but the language is easy. Hey, I really value our friendship. And I feel like there might be a little bit of tension between us. And I want to clear the air. You know, life is so crazy. And I want you to let you know that my lack of hanging out with you or my lack of contact isn't because I don't love you or value you. I'm just in a really crazy season. I hope it slows down and I hope we can hang out soon. But just know me pulling away isn't because I don't love you. It's just in this season, it's crazy. Yep. Yep. And that conversation, as hard as it feels, will protect everyone's heart. Now, I'll say this, Steph. If you have someone that flies off the handle, that's emotional, that makes it about them, girl, you should just pat yourself on the back, send send yourself a bottle of champagne and say, congratulations, you let go of a crazy person. (laughs) Because if they're going to fly off the handle, they will toxically drain you in a relationship. And if they can't understand your life, they're not supposed to be in your life. Mm. 100. Mm. 100. The the mental picture I got when you were talking about, it just sort of fades. Like both of you were just kind of aware that you're not as close as you were. It's like if you're making a fire, like in the fireplace or a bonfire or something, to keep it going, you have to keep putting wood on the fire or like kindling or blowing on it or something. I mean, you have to keep adding to it. Otherwise, it's just going to sort of taper out. And I feel like what you're saying is just kind of let it taper out. Like don't add new logs. If you don't have new logs to add, don't add new logs or don't, like if you don't have extra breath, don't breathe on it. Just sort of let it, let it like slowly burn out. That's, I don't know, something about that's just really helpful for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. So when it comes to a toxic friendship, a friendship where I think, you know, some, the hard thing about a lot of toxic friendships are that they're, I think they're extra hard to get out of because a lot of times there's some manipulation going on. Or a lot of times if you're in a toxic friendship, there might be already some, some resentment or maybe some fear of your friendship. If you have a friend who you've been friends with forever that flies off the handle all the time and you've stuck it out this long, you know, Mm. that ending the friendship, they are going to lose it. And so what kind of, how do you prepare your heart? How do you have that conversation where it's not like, Hey, I really love you. I think you're great. But where it's like, listen, it's, I finally reached my breaking point. Like this is enough. We can't move forward in this friendship. Like how, how does that happen? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, the sec, the book is broken up into three sections and I, I lightly touch this, not so poignantly on like how to cut it off, but more along the lines of growing up. There's a difference between little girls and women. And that's a chapter that I wrote on. And a little girl is going to make you pay for correction, but a grown woman will thank you for it. And I feel like if it feels toxic and you know, they're going to fly off the handle and you know, it's going to be dangerous and you're avoiding it, that's your your immature little girl not wanting to have conflict. And I'm a seven on Enneagram. I hate conflict. I'm conflict. I have an aversion. I have hives to conflict. I will hide under a rock. I will hide under a table. I will hide under a bed with a loaf of bread to avoid conflict. And yet I realize to preserve my emotional energy, to preserve relationships, preserve sanity, I know that I have to have these conversations. And so like that toxic friendship that I had, it was me having a hard conversation. So how do we embrace or how do we end and initiate a, that conversation? We have to initiate and embrace the conversation. That's the first step. And it's hard. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's easy because I know that it's not. It's hard, but everything hard will pay off in dividends for your mind, your heart, and your soul, especially when it comes to relationships. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's really good. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend about this recently and something that I've been learning a lot about in the last two years or so is boundaries. And it, it's more, I'm still trying to like find the language to, to really like explain what I've been learning, but it's less like this is a yes, this is a no, although it is some of that, but more it's like where I end and other people start sort of like, you know, if you have a house, you have a property line. And, and I think that something that can happen when we don't really know our boundaries is that we let people build on our property or we let people, you know, use our, all of our resources, or we, we start to water their grass instead of watering our own. It's just, it's, we just don't know where we end and someone else begins. And I think that boundaries have been really helpful for me when it comes to thinking about friendships, especially tough ones, because it's less about what they're doing. And it's more about like the rules for your house or the rules for your property on my property, in my house, you can't talk to me like that. Like I require Mm. kindness. I require, I will not be friends with someone who I feel like is going to turn around and talk about me in a way that would hurt me behind my back. Like that's, that's not allowed in my house. And so I think having some like house rules has been really helpful for me to, I, I think that brings a lot of clarity to who's invited in your life and who's not. Because if you have some house rules and you know what they are and someone comes into your house and violates those house rules, you can correct them immediately because you know what they are. And if they keep doing it, then you can say, you're not invited here anymore. And it, I think it's just the, uh, thinking about it that way, about having, knowing, knowing, what I require has been really helpful because, because it's, everyone's different. Everyone's different and, and everyone's personalities are different, but this is what I require. And so. Absolutely. I love that. I love that imagery. Mm, hard fought. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that when we've been in life-sucking friendships, you know, we've talked about this a little bit when we've been in life-sucking friendships or toxic friendships, or when we've been hurt in some way by girlfriends specifically, it's really easy to write off all women and all friendships and just decide that we're done. I think something that can be really helpful is just a reminder of why this matters. And I know you shared some of them in your book. You have some really sweet stories of friendship. One in particular having to do with our friend Bree, who's been on the show before. She's never shared this story on the show before, and she actually just shared it with me. And I'm pretty sure I cried on the spot. And so, because it's just beautiful. So I would love to hear the prom dress story and just any other like mm. moments where just that illustrate like why this matters, why we shouldn't, why we shouldn't give up. So I'm going to pull this up to the 30,000 foot view and then kind of like narrow it down to what this looks like on everyday life. Because um, maybe there's people in this community that are not, that don't have a faith background, which is totally great. I'm so glad they're in the conversation. But I think that one of the things that makes uh, our faith so unique is that community is at the heart of God. God didn't create us to be alone. In the beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter, He said the one thing that wasn't good, everything was good in creation, but the one thing that wasn't good was that humanity was in isolation. That one person was alone. And so He made a friend, a helpmate that would come alongside. And then also in that is the beginning of the foundations of the earth. We have this idea that God is in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. So if God, the God that maybe people believe in, maybe don't believe in, but the God that I believe in, if He was in community and wanted other people to be in community, we were not created to be alone. We were not created to be islands. We were created to be in community with other people. And so that sounds great in theory, but what does it look in praxis? What does it look like here on earth? I think that it's in 
everyday ordinary acts placed in the hands of an extraordinary God. And that is what I got to witness through Brie. You're a good friend with Brianna. You guys are in a mastermind together. And I have been friends with Brie since high school. After reading the Pearl story, after watching the Pearl story on Oprah, I realized I want to have my own pearls. And Brie was actually one of those. And we had a friendship in high school and still to this day have a friendship. I was able to go to the hospital and witness the birth of her baby. Uh, we go to church together. We go on vacation together. And that is 20 years of friendship in the making, which I'm super grateful for. That being said, in high school, it's those breadcrumbs that lead you to who your community is. And I remember in high school, I have a twin sister and we were all in the same group of friends together, AKA our version of Pearls. And uh, my twin sister, Jasmine, was a senior in high school. And my parents, I grew up in a very conservative house. So my parents were like, you can't date. And we're not going to pay for you to go to prom because this is not what we're super stoked about right now. You need to focus on school and college. And so um, Jazz had saved money for prom, but it wasn't enough to cover like some of the expenses. And my parents just didn't have money to cover it. And so she was devastated because this guy, senior year, had asked her to prom and she wanted this dress and she couldn't afford it. Well, Brianna ended up buying Jasmine's prom dress. And what she didn't know then, but yet was a breadcrumb that was a trail back to the heart of community, was the person that she bought the dress for to attend prom was my sister's boyfriend that would eventually become her husband. And we all got to witness Jasmine's wedding in Hawaii. And Brianna was the one that kind of made this kismet, beautiful moment happen, the purchasing of a prom dress. And I think it's just those little ordinary acts placed in the hands of an extraordinary God that will reveal who your community is. And those are the signs that this person is good. This person's real. This person is like the ride or die. And I, I, I firmly believe that you can find that community for yourself. Is it hard? Yes. Will it take sacrifice? Yes. Or will there be even moments where you want to kill that person and give up on friendship? Yes. But if you know that that person has your back and that person loves you and that person has shared values and shared hopes and dreams and ambitions, they could be a really, really lifelong friend. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. So, you know, you, you kind of touched on this. I know that there are women listening who are thinking, this sounds great. I would love that. I would love friends who are like, forever, lifelong, in it together kinds of friends. But I think that there are just so many women listening who are feeling discouraged. Like I've tried Mm. or I don't know how to try or I've tried and it didn't work. And so I just don't know how to try again. Do you have some, just like for all of our bullet pointers out there, just some like specific (laughs) action steps women can start taking today that can move them closer to having these kinds of people in their lives? Like just a couple first steps. Yeah, I would say to kind of distill it down is to have a good friend, we need to be a good friend. And I think that sometimes we're waiting for someone to come and be that friend to us. But what if, what if, what if, going back to Ruth and Naomi, what if there is a Naomi in our life who is in a bitter season? What does it look like to show up for her? And sometimes we'll be surprised that when we step into the gap to be a friend for someone else, that we end up finding a friend for ourselves as well. And let's say that you step in and it doesn't go as you planned and you might feel a little bit burned, you might feel a little bit hurt, but I would encourage you to try again. And we can't let one failed relationship or two failed relationships or 10 failed friendships 
stop us from pursuing that sense of community. And remember, what if it doesn't, we really don't view it as like a failed relationship. What if we view it as like a friend for a season? So I would say one, if you want a friend, be a friend. Two, don't give up if you've been burned. And three, make time. Think about this stuff. I would say, you know, 20 years ago, the number one commodity was money. And let's say a hundred years ago, the number one commodity was in, in, industrial technology. And then uh, 2000 years ago, a uh, commodity was fire. Today, in, in, in the 21st century, in 2019, 2020, the number one commodity that we now have is time. And so if you want to show someone that you love them, I feel like going out, going to their house, picking up a salad or a pizza or a bottle of wine and going to, to their house to watch Netflix. Or if you know that they're having a bad day, what does it look like to change your plans and swoop them up and take them to dinner or watch a sunset at the beach or just show up? For my husband and I in this season of life, life is crazy. We are on a plane, we're traveling, we have church, I'm speaking, I'm writing, life is bananas. But there have been some couples in our life where we realize these are really, really good people and we're going to invest in relationship with them. So there are some friends, some in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which people are sure are probably saying, where's Fredericksburg? It's literally an hour and a half outside of D.C., but we love them so much. Twice a year, we fly to DC, rent a car, and go spend two days with them. We have another couple in Orlando, Florida. We love them. Guess what? We move our schedule around to go fly and visit them. And they do likewise. In fact, we're all meeting in Napa. My husband is a sommelier, and we're all meeting in Napa in a couple of weeks because that's what friends do. We have to be willing to invest time, money, and priorities if we want our friendships to work. And I know that there's some people that are like, well, I don't have money. Time is money. Invest in a friend. Take them to coffee. Send them some farm girl flowers. What is it like to just say thank you for being alive and thank you for being my friend? I would say those three things are really good practical handles and stepping stone to walking in the direction of a healthy friendship. I love that. And I I love the emphasis on time. I was talking to a girlfriend yesterday and she was saying, you know, when we think about friendship, we have all this nostalgia for how easy it used to be to make friends. And when we're thinking about that, usually we're thinking about school. We're thinking about like, you know, I had this best friend in third grade or I had this best friend in high school or in college because they lived down the hallway or they were in my class or they were, you know, on my team. And the thing about that is, like the missing piece that was there then that isn't there now is proximity. You yep. you had to you had to sit next to them in math class every day. Like you had to show up to practice with them every day. And that's the thing that we're missing now is we don't have, you know, we go to coffee one time and are like, why isn't this person my best friend? Or we show up at church once and are like, I didn't make any new friends. Exactly. The thing that we, that she said that I loved is like, we have to commit to being in proximity with a new group of humans for a while. And that's where friendship starts. And 1000%. I'm giving this girl an air high five. Yes. Love it. Love it. Okay. So Bianca, last question for you. If you were talking to all 20 something women right now, and really just all women, because like we've talked about so many of the things that you talk about in your book and so many of these principles are true, whether we are 10, 20, or 90. If you could give us just one last bit of encouragement on friendship, what would you say? I think I could sum it up in a sentence. Don't give up. We are prone. We are fickle humans. And we are prone just to walk away because it gets hard or we get tired or we get annoyed. 
But you want to know something? What would it look like if we made a conscious decision, especially if, it's, if the relationship is worth it? If it is a healthy relationship and that person has shown up for you and you have shared values and visions and dreams and goals, you're willing to be in proximity with that person. What does it look like not to give up? And it's hard, but I can say on the flip side of a 20 year plus relationship with the same group of five girls since high school, that it's worth it. And these are the people that are going to call you out on your junk. These are going to be people that remind you when the world is shouting all the things that you're not, who you really are. And these are the people when push comes to shove that will be there when your heart is broken, that will be there when you lose your house, that will be there when you feel like a failure, will be there when you get married, will be there when you have a baby, and will be there to give you presents when people have forgotten that it's your birthday. And that is what I keep fighting for. Oh, that's so good. Bianca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Steph. And thank you to all your listeners. I hope that um, they know that they are loved by you and the time that you're investing in them is a gift. You are a gift to so many. So thank you, Steph. Oh, I just loved that conversation. Isn't Bianca amazing? Friends, that's it for today's episode. And actually, that's it for season six. This is our last episode of the season. Isn't that crazy? I feel like it went by so fast. Don't worry at all, we are just getting started. We'll be back soon for season seven and we have so many amazing new episodes headed your way. But before we sign off for the season, I wanted to ask y'all a big favor. It's actually a small favor, but it's a big deal to me. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've been a Girls' Night fan for a while now, would you take just two quick seconds to leave us a rating and review on iTunes? Those reviews help out our podcast so much and it really would mean the world to me. So if you take two quick seconds to do that, I would be so grateful. Friends, thank you so much for joining me for Girls' Night, and I will see you soon for season seven.